Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Riders Freight Market Update with my friend Kevin Clonch. Kevin is Group Director of Customer Logistics for Rider Logistics, one of America's leading logistics and transportation companies. Kevin and I touch on a number of relevant topics, including freight fraud, technology, and the state of the freight market. So please check out our conversation. How's it going, Kevin? Doing well. How are you, Joe? Doing great, doing great. So Kevin, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Perfect. So my name is Kevin Clonch. I am the group director over Riders Freight Brokerage Group. I am based out of Fort Worth, Texas, and I've been with Ryder for the last eight years. Very nice. Very nice. So I know Ryder has lots of divisions. Give us a quick overview of all the things Ryder does, and then tell us what you guys do over the freight brokerage division. Oh, absolutely. If you look at Ryder, we are one of the only providers that can truly say we can get your products from port to door scoping all different uh, channels of the supply chain, whether it be from the manufacturing line inbound to inbound parts to an automaker, or if it's a CPG product that you purchase online and ultimately ends up at your front door. Specifically to the freight brokerage group, my group is really working on customers that are shipping either contractual volume or transactional volume. And really our niche in, in a freight brokerage is to connect our small carrier partners, think of the the 10 trucks and less folks, that's really where we specialize in, with those large shippers so that we can keep uh, those carriers' wheels moving and, and making money and keep America moving at, at any point. So I know you guys have your own assets. You have your own trucks, right? We do. And that's one of the unique things about Riders Freight Brokerage is we actually touch a lot of those assets. Riders' assets are primarily playing in the dedicated space. So think closed loop network is your most traditional dedicated environment. But there are aspects of our dedicated transportation vertical that go one way and they go across the country. And our group touches all of those uh, trucks that are looking to get a backhaul back to their home domicile. And that is a differentiator for us. We certainly uh, use those assets and and provide fits and, and really look to connect how we can drive higher utilization, which drives value back to our dedicated customers, but also helps those shippers that need a one-way move do it at, at a potentially lower cost. Yep. Last, we were just talking about before we hit record, last February, I was at Manifest and I interviewed Gary Allen. But on the other side of the business, he's in the warehousing side. I was shocked to hear how many warehouses you guys had and how much e-commerce you guys are doing. Not that that's the only thing you're doing in your warehouses, because I... I'm, I'm a Detroit guy. I thought Ryder, <laughs> until last year in February, I thought Ryder was based in Detroit because they were primarily an automotive transportation company. And I'm now to learn that you guys not only are based in Florida, but that you do work outside of automotive. And then a lot of it. Yeah, we do. We touch every... Everywhere in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, we've got offices and locations in, in all of NAFTA. And as you mentioned, home-based in Miami, Florida, I'm at one of our transportation management centers here in Fort Worth, a very large center, houses over 500 people. 
Investment is a key hub for our TM part of our business, so our managed trans part of our business. And then our uh, Detroit office, which is actually in Novi, Michigan, is yeah a lot of automotive, as you can imagine, but also another key center for our managed trans side of the business. Yeah, it seemed like Ryder did, and I'm not exaggerating this at all, guys, it seemed like Ryder was half the transportation in the automotive space when I was still there. Um, very impressive group. So the freight brokerage space that you're running, who's what's the sweet spot? Who are you? Who are you serve best? I shouldn't say it that way. Just who's the sweet spot? I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, for us, we do business with every size company, ones that are just getting started. So think new shippers and e-commerce space is that as consumer behaviors change and everyone's buying things over the internet, we've certainly got customers in that space all the way down to, we've only shipped a couple shipments with them, but we also work with large shippers heavily focused on the fortune 500. We've got a number of those in a contractual arrangement and and are happy with those relationships that we've developed. If I were to focus on a sweet spot, we're really uber focused here the last several years at diversifying our business and getting deeper into CPG, retail, and food and bev. And we've had a lot of success there and driving a lot of uh, business and developing a lot of relationships that we think we'll have for years to come. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Some career highlights before you joined Ryder. Oh man, we're going to take it way back. I was uh, <laughs> born in Cincinnati, Ohio. I still got family that lives there. I've been in the industry for 20 years. I actually got my, my undergrad degree from Miami of Ohio in Oxford, which is just very uh, nice. Just north of Cincinnati that they, they tout themselves as the Ivy League of the Midwest. I don't know self-proclaimed. No, but, that's a uh, very good school. I'm a Michigan. I know school. very. Uh, I went to school at Tennessee before that. If you were actually looking at my wall behind me here, I've got, uh, you can't really see it in the picture, but a lot of Tennessee memorabilia, huge football fan and went to school there to certainly start my logistics career, but finished at Miami of Ohio. And then out of college, I took a chance. There was a little company recruiting in, in Oxford on career day. It was a company called Total Quality Logistics. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I got my, I got an internship with them six months before graduation, did that and said, hey, let's take a leap of faith here and bet on myself and bet on a little company that was housed in a high rise at that point. They've done all right. Uh, they've done okay. So I was early on with their growth in 03. I did that for eight years, watched their exponential growth when I left there. wanted to do some things in some senior level leadership roles. I'd gotten my... MBA from University of Cincinnati at that time and did a couple other stops with another 4PL in Cincinnati area and then a family-run company for two years prior to joining Ryder in, in upstate New York. So you obviously had options at that point. Why did you choose Ryder and why do you stay there after all these years? What did you say, eight years? Eight years now, this past October. And really, Joe, a lot of the things you mentioned up front, I mean, I've admired Ryder from afar for quite some time. Heavy, heavy leader in the automotive space. When I was, when I left TQL and went to work for that other 4PL that I mentioned, they were also automotive specialized. And every time I went up against them, we would lose to Ryder, right? So if you can't, if you can't beat them, join them, right? So I've admired them from afar and, and everything you hear about the culture, everything you hear about the opportunities and, and really the service offering that, that you hear from the outside, it's true. Once I joined it, the opportunities are endless. I've advanced in the company multiple times and really the sky's the limit where we've done some acquisitions over the past several years, expanding in that true port-to-door space and 
And I think the growth is just now starting and the freight brokerage group here is really a, a powder keg, in my opinion, that's ready to, to knock the roof off. Yep. Before we get into your market update, I think it's increasingly important to the shippers, whatever industry they're in, to pick the right partner. I think during COVID, and I haven't said the C word in a minute here. Yeah, hopefully we're <laughs> done with that. But since then, I think there's been an increased realization that who you partner with matters. Because if you have the clout of ride rider and you call the port, I would say you're calling on the bat phone as opposed to, hey, I got my I got one pallet on one one container in there. Nobody cares about you. <laughs> That's the challenge. That's why you want to get a partner like a rider who can, you know, you said port to door, but I think it's also doing it right. And we'll get into that a little more in here, but we, we'll talk a little more about the freight fraud and some of the other challenges. We're seeing a lot of companies struggle these days and you do not want to be partnered with somebody and have all of your freight managed by somebody who is struggling. <laughs> Logistics is hard enough. Right. Anyway, let's switch gears. So you guys do a market update. Uh, I don't know what the name of it is. What do you know the name of it? I think it's simply stated, state of the industry. Uh, we've partnered with Freightwaves in the industry and we take some of their leading economists that they have and some other factors and they we write it together. I think it's an important. Well, they, they obviously have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry too. So what I'll do is I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes so people can reach out. And again, you can't find a much better partner than uh, uh, Freightways for, again, a sense for what's going on in the space. So what does your and Freightways crystal ball tell us? Where are we at in this market? Please tell us some good news. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned the C word. I think uh, when you look at, we'll do a little bit of revisionist here. The market's cyclical in, in nature anyway, right? You, you've got ebbs and flows. Typically, they're three to four year cycles. We were due for one. We hadn't seen one since really 2019 from a downward pressure market. And then you had the, the COVID factor that entered a ton of capacity into the market. Rates went through the roof. People were buying trucks, a lot of new entrants to the market. And then the downturn occurred in a recessionary market that we've really been since the end of 22. And really, it, I would say it's lasted longer than anyone's expected. I think that's the biggest surprise is just how long it's lasted and how long it could potentially last. And a lot of that is driven by the the change in consumer behavior, number one, with everybody purchasing things online and disrupting supply chains across the board, folks carrying higher inventory levels because they didn't want to run out like they did in COVID and things like that. But you, you saw, at least at the beginning of this past year, inventory levels, they, they hadn't deplenished enough to where you had restocking events. The inventory has been sitting there for the most part, and now as you continue to eat into that, you're starting to see a little bit of the volume come back. And that's where, where we're at now. Inventories start to normalize. And now we're seeing some choppiness in the market. I would say freight brokerage is the tip of the spear. We're usually the first to know when the market's coming out of a, a down cycle like we're in now. And we're the first ones to know when the high cycle is over. <laughs> so what we've seen, Joe, on our business is the bouncing on the bottom. We've seen that really the last several months, and that's that choppiness I mentioned. And I think that's what is attributed to a couple things. Number one, that, that inventory is normalizing. The restocking has started to be consistent like it used to be prior to 
COVID. And then you're also seeing a large amount of that capacity that entered the market start to leave. The rates on where they're at, I think I last saw they're in the two, two and a quarter a mile range. That's, they were in $4 a mile territory before and two and a quarter mile trucking companies are struggling to, to stay alive at the end of the day from the cost to run the truck. And all their costs went up. They did. Insurance levels are through the roof. All of the maintenance costs are through the roof. And then driver wages, right? You, you try to retain the, the drivers. It's hard to recruit drivers. And keeping them afloat has, has really made it a struggle for those asset-based carriers. And I think that's who you're seeing leave the market. And until that, I don't think we're as much at a, a volume issue in a market more than we have just way too much capacity in the market. Yeah. So we, I've heard somebody say the other day that we have 2019 volume, but we have, as you said, too many, some armies need to leave the field. And that's always a sad thing for those armies, but it's good, good for the industry. I will say I get a lot of phone calls. People reach out to me. I started getting phone calls from small owner operators a lot lately saying, I'm really in a jam. Who should I call? Who's got work? Who's got work? And it's not, it's not looking good for a lot of them. And by the way, I think we, we had such an increase in that capacity, so many new entrants into the market, and they still haven't left. They're still hanging on. Some of them may be flush, not as flush now, but they made a lot of money during COVID. And maybe that they said, oh, I can withstand a little bit of a downturn. Not going to be much longer for some of them, though. Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, we're the first to see it and, and we've started to see signs of it. So you may see an inflection point at some point in the beginning of the year, first half of the year. And then obviously the contract rates are typically a laggard, right? So those could uh, be later in the year. But for the most part, I do see that we will come out of it in, in 24. I think you'll start to see that capacity continue to decline and then they'll level off and you'll have that meeting point again of where contract and spot rates meet. Spot rates today are still 70 cents to 80 cents a mile, depending on the month, lower than contract. And a lot of shippers have started to capitalize on that over the past year. And I think they're trying to get back some of the, the losses that they had during COVID, but that's helped drive, the abundance of capacity has helped drive a lot of that continued in, in a downward pace. So when do you think we'll be feeling healthy again in this space? It's hard to say. I think it, it, it depends on which economist do you want to listen to and which prognosticator. We don't all have economists. <laughs> no, we partner with a lot of them and a lot of them say mid to Q3, right? Somewhere in that range. Like I said, we're seeing signs of it now. It just depends on who you want to listen to. But the main piece that could throw a wrench in any of this is all of the things that are still out there. You've still got high interest rates and their effect. You've still got... I've heard rumblings of, is there another pandemic coming? I don't even want to dream that into the universe, but, but you've got that out there. You've got turmoil in the Middle East. You've got geopolitical stuff. You've got, you've got an election year coming, right? Yeah. And yeah. There's a, there's happens in an election year to begin with, right? So there's so many things and so many factors that go into it. Whether events play a part in it, you just don't know. That could pull it either forward into Q1 or push it later. I'll keep our fingers crossed, but it, you're thinking... First, maybe more likely second, third quarter, could, De yeah, depending yeah. again with all those variables, war in the Middle East, war in Europe, interest rates, the election year, and nobody has a crystal ball for all that. <laughs> if I did, Joe, I'd be, I'd be sitting in a lot bigger castle, I think. <laughs>
For sure. <laughs> exactly. So on top of the challenges we've had with the market, another thing we talked about this before we hit record is freight fraud. Please explain what's going on there. Freight fraud is probably the biggest risk, I think, in overall supply chains at the moment for a shipper and for really a 3PL or 4PL. And, and it's not that it always hasn't been there, right? Fraud it has been out there. Theft has been out there. Frankly, claims in general have been out there. But what we've seen is a, a significant change in just how sophisticated they're, they're getting in their, in their plots. We're seeing a lot of bad actors out there that are that are posing as other parties, whether it be from email changes. Some are actually infiltrating technology systems, and it appears that they're the right people, but they're not. And then you don't know who's picking up your freight, right? And that's where it, the risk occurs because then that freight is gone and sold in some other market. Then now, now you're without the product that you needed to get to the end consumer. It's out there. The brand is out there in the open market, which you don't want either because you don't know where it will end up. And then there's lost cause, lost goods. Sorry. Yeah. I saw yesterday on LinkedIn, somebody had written quite a long post and I read it and I actually reread it. Maybe you saw the same thing, but it had a guy and he was a freight broker and he talked about, we've selected carrier A to go to this to go to this location and warehouse, pick up and take it, right? So instead, carrier A decided I will give it to carrier B. Now the freight broker said to the shipper, the warehouse guy, make sure you go and look at the MC number on the side of the vehicle, on the side of the tractor, make sure it's this MC number, make sure it's this company picking up. They didn't do that. Carrier B did deliver, which is fine, but that freight broker said, I'm not paying anybody in this. And I don't know if that's the right thing. I, he says, I'm not paying. But he was saying, this is the only way to stop this. And I'm, by the way, I don't know. I'm just, I, I saw a lot of comments quickly come onto that post. And I was like, okay, so that way, at least it wasn't stolen. But we have a lot of, you said, infiltration into systems. Also, somebody could take my email address and change one letter. And then I think I'm working with Joe Lynch, but I'm not. I'm working with some scam who's going to potentially rob my customer or rob me. Yeah, I think all of that, what you reference is a double brokering scenario, which is certainly a related but slightly different issue. I think the in the example that that I had mentioned, where we'll talk about that one real quick first. The worst, the biggest loser in that entire scenario is actually the carrier that they broker to. So when you think about, I pose as I'm a bad actor and I pose as broker A, and I take it from a customer or another 3PL, and I give it to, they keep themselves third removed usually, right? So it's very hard to track them. They actually will broker that to an unsuspecting asset-based provider. Tells them to pick it up, deliver it to the bad actor's warehouse, that asset-based carrier doesn't even know most of the time that they're in that situation and they never get paid. That is the worst scenario because that's going to help put companies out of business. That, that's a sticky situation because as a broker, if I paid that carrier, he didn't even deliver it to the right place. 
so how can I pay him? And now the product's out in blah land getting stolen on the, or sold on the black market. So that's probably the worst case scenario and the biggest loser. I have insurance, obviously uh, customers with high value goods typically have insurance as well. That'll pay for that. But that asset-based provider doesn't ever get paid that he's used fuel, all of his costs, all of those things. So that's the worst case scenario. The double broker scenario you just mentioned, certainly an interesting approach by that other uh, company. I, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I won't comment on that, but how we handle it, we've done a lot of things from rigor and processes. There's a lot of good technology that's out there that we've partnered with that actually helps stop that. And the biggest way that we've been able to stop a lot of this is from the tracking component. Um, we mandate tracking on our freight. You've got to have breadcrumb tracking to do that. And usually if you're in a double broker scenario, or if you are in a fraud scenario, they're not going to want to do that. So uh. they ultimately don't get the load, right? So a lot of that rigor around that will put a stop to that. That's the best way to stop it. And then if you do catch one, because let's be honest, there are ways to get around it, or at least they've figured out a few ways to get around it. It's not 100% foolproof. You, you place those bad actors on a no-load list, make it well-known. The brokerage industry and community is very close-knit. There are partnerships and associations that you can share that level of info, and you can put those bad actors out pretty quickly. Yep. And we do know, we'll talk about this later, but there are a number of companies coming at it with technologies to catch some of this. Some of it we're never going to catch. And by the way, I am I know this is something that's near and dear to you because we talked about it the other day. I don't want to ever say that technology isn't a big part of that solution. It clearly is. But so are relationships. So are picking up the phone and talking to someone. So if somebody's for the first time moving a load with you, pick up the damn phone. <laughs> Make a phone call, guys. I, it won't kill you. And Notice I didn't say, go ahead, have your guys send them a text. Yeah, we do have a lot of technology. And I do think technology is a, piece, is a very important piece. But you're right. Relationships are... Number one, in, in the freight brokerage arena, you've had a lot of new entrants in recent past that have come at it from tech only and tried to remove the relationship side of it. And I think they found out very quickly that you cannot. Um, but really our approach to technology is really leveraging some of the non-value-add work, the manual work, and taking that out of the equation so our folks can leverage the intellectual capital and, and really be more strategic for the relationships on the carrier side, which we value just as important as the customer side, can't have one without the other, but then also be an extension of the supply chain for those customers because let's be honest, they don't have huge compliance teams to vet all these carriers. They don't have really the resources across the board to have thousands of carriers in their network. And we've got tens of thousands that we can make sure we're putting the right carrier on the right load. I've always said building a relationship is in this business, whether it's with a carrier or a broker or whoever, warehousing company, it is it is really underrated. Uh, I, we say it a lot, but I, I think you, if you're going to build a relationship, that means you actually vet. So you spend some time picking the right person. And then when you pick them, I say it all the time on my podcast, you aren't dating, you aren't engaged, you're married to them because we vet them and we know they're the right one. So if I'm working with Ryder, I spent the time, I investigated, and when I picked them, I said, I'm picking them for the long run because I know they're the right partner. And then account familiarity, I'm glad I was able to say it this time, <laughs> is really another real big benefit of that. So if somebody says, oh, I left 
working with this very reputable company that I've been working with for years because the other guy saved me $20. And then I end up without the account familiarity, but also taking a chance on a brand new relationship that potentially ends up in fraud. And so I'm a big believer, you go pick the right partners. Don't work with the sketchy, even if it saves you that whole $20, it's not going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of rules that we have in place and that's that rigor around the processes that we have combined with the technology. You're right. I, you see a lot of folks that want to risk it for $20 and that's wild to me and we'll pay more for the relationship and peace of mind. That's why our customer, we're in a service industry. I don't have an asset. I don't have a physical commodity that I'm handing over to you. I'm here to service and deliver a high level of service. And at the end of the day, our customers are buying trust from me and peace of mind. And the moment we break that, the moment I don't have a customer, right? So how much is that worth? I think it's worth a lot more than $20. Somebody said on my podcast not so long ago, and I thought, yeah, it's a great way to say it. They said, look, the the lowest cost carrier, if you got a big long list, he said, I asked 50 carriers, the lowest cost carrier, do you, are you absolutely positive that they aren't cutting corners anywhere? Are they paying their drivers? Are they doing scheduled maintenance? Do they have the newer truck? And I'm not saying being the lowest cost is, but my sense is that the guys more at the top of the list say, look, we're not with the lowest price, but we are safe and we are reputable and we don't cut corners anywhere and we're paying everybody. That That is worth the extra dollar or two you're paying. And again, in the you might get by, you might get by with the, the less expensive for a long time, but it is going to bite you one day. That's just the nature of buying the lowest cost all the time. I'll get off my, I'll get off my soapbox now. So we, we started to touch on some of these tech centric companies. So there's a number of tech centric freight brokers, some s- struggled, some out of business. And we talked about it before we hit record and for a minute, it's not anymore, but for say five, 10 years ago, you'd say, oh, there's either the old guard who has the experience, the operational knowledge of how to run a logistics company. And then there's the guys who understand tech and they might be based in Silicon Valley. They don't know trucks very well, but they got this cool tech and it's going to take a lot of money out of the process. I don't think we're there anymore. I think that the old guard has said, we will invest in technology and we will not be we will not be behind in the tech. And we think there's an advantage to working with guys who have the operational expertise who've been here for a minute. Yeah, I think that's right. I think really the the biggest advantage to some of the new entrants in the market over the last several years has really been the level setting of that technology. When we look at, to your point, 10 plus years ago, you had a build versus buy decision that you had to make as a company. And a lot of folks, you had pros and cons to each. I still think build versus buy is a hot debate today from a technology. But I think the difference is what are you getting from that? And what is the overall investment that's going to truly make you a differentiator if you're going to build it? And the new entrants have all built it. And they, frankly, have built great technology that was differentiated. However, what's occurred is all of your traditional brokers especially your top 50 that a lot of those have proprietary tech have upped to their game. They frankly have honestly had a lot of that in place before they just marketed it differently. So a little bit of a marketing change and approach there and how they took it to market. 
but also the off-the-shelf technology has significantly advanced. You actually have, I would say, more differentiated product from not the new entrance from pure brokerage, but the bolt-on technology, not only from a TMS, but your tracking technology, your freight matching technology, your API and, or RPA and AI technology that's out there. Those are the disruptors. And really what it's done is really level the, the playing field for those brokers that are a buy versus build. And now that's table stakes. Customers expect tracking. They expect you to pass on some of the savings that you get from automation as a total cost of ownership. All of those things are, are really what a customer is paying attention to a little bit more closely. If you don't have them, you're left out. Um, but all those have been pretty well, it's leveled the playing field, I guess is probably the easiest way to say it. Right. And I remember uh, 2009, 2010, I was at a little 3PL and we, the reason I went there, I was leaving automotive because everything melted down. I found myself in the logistics business. And I remember what impressed me when I met with the owner, he said, yeah, we have this transportation management system. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And I remember for at least the first few years when I would show potential customers this TMS that we've had off the shelf, we bought. Mm -hmm. They looked at me like I was Steve Jobs. I, <laughs> they were like, oh my God, this is the solution to all the problems in the world. We have a transportation management system. I was so impressed with that, again, off the shelf product. And I would say in the last five, seven years, we looked and said, yeah, again, back to table stakes. What about all the plugins? What can you plug into that transportation management system? And we'll talk about it in a minute. I, I know you wanted to introduce me to the guys over at Highway. And they're a plug-in to systems now. But it's Highway is solving some of those challenges with the freight fraud, double brokering, some of the stuff that's going on in the market. And there's going to be, a, I call them killer apps. There's going to be another killer app next year or the year after that everybody's going to say, I need that to plug into my transportation management system. Yeah, I agree. And we're, you mentioned Highway. We're certainly a partner of Highway. And Michael Caney is probably, I know you've already spoken to Jordan Graft over there. Michael Caney is probably another good conversation for you to have. And he's certainly got an interesting background. I'd certainly encourage you to talk to him. But Highway is, is really, they're changing the game. The biggest player in town from a vetting standpoint for the longest time owned the market. But Highway uh, has noticed that and has done a lot of that vetting up work up front, the insurance tracking up front, but they've also started to look at the fraud component and the technology that they've got around the fraud component on identifying and connecting to things like Triumph Pay, which have been around for a long time in our space, connecting the freight payable side to how many trucks a, a, comp a company actually says they have is a game changer. Um, you can quickly identify who's double brokering your freight uh, just based on that. It also can look at F, um, inspection reports and see what lanes they're running. And if they don't have trucks in your lane, that's a red flag, right? It goes back to the rigor on processes and rule that you have. And those are the kind of things that we look at. And another one I just thought of too, Joe, that would be a decent conversation for your, for future podcasts, would be Ryan Rogers over at uh, Text Locate. Oh, I've talked to Ryan. I should talk to him again. I just saw him. I love what they're doing. They've got some new stuff out there from the or original inception, and they're 
not our first go-to from a tracking component. We partner with Trucker Tools and, and Carrie Jablonski over there. She's doing some cool stuff. But Text Locate is a good filler for us to not only get tracking for carriers that don't carry one of these smartphones and still rely on flip phones, but also from a document capturing standpoint. So you think about how much time or frankly, carriers that just don't even send in PODs, which that is a topic for another conversation that blows my mind, but their ability to capture a POD on, on that picture and send it right into our payment system pays them faster, which is important but also uh, helps us prevent uh, some of the fraud out there as well, because we can get the copy of that signed delivery receipt. Yep. By the way, I saw Ryan Rogers out at TIA in San Diego in I don't know, October, and he was part of the Shark Tank. And very impressive. They have made a lot of, and again, when they say text locate, there, as he would say, there's all sorts of things that will track, right? You have the Project 44, MicroPoint, all the different tools that you can use to track trucks. And he says, but that's not a fit for everybody. There's millions of drivers and some of them just want to text. And what's very cool is how simple it is. And by the way, I always say this is we need to make this simple because there's guys are paid to drive those trucks, not pull over and mess with tracking or take phone calls. So I love what they're doing. And also, I think one of the things that I remember when I'm still moving freight, a lot of the drivers I would talk to were uh, English was their second language. A lot of our immigrants and they just felt more comfortable with the texting. I remember one guy in particular would say, Joe, would it be, it would be easier if I could just text you because I don't speak the language very well. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. I, I, I'm happy to get text messages from you. Got the translator. Yeah, you got the translator on it. It makes it easier for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned a, um, a few things. So I'm going to interview Ryan Rogers. I'll talk to Michael Caney. I have talked to Jordan and you mentioned Triumph Pay. I've got them coming on the podcast. But what's interesting is I think Jordan came from Triumph Pay. So he has a real sense for this industry. And the, I would say that just based on my conversations, that's one of the better solutions to some of this double brokering and the freight fraud that we're experiencing. When leaders like you guys are partnering with them, that tells me something. So that's the kind of the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, which was these are uncertain times and there are a lot of companies that are getting bit. I think Jordan said it, most freight brokers uh, are one bad load away from being out of business. There is, there are problems out there. So if you're going to, if you're going to be in this market, you want to partner with a leader, somebody like you guys who has obviously the scale, but also the financial stability that is so important because you don't want to be partnering with somebody who is struggling in this market and more likely to cut the corners. Aren't They're not going to invest in the stuff like you guys are investing in to, to make this a better day. Yeah, no, I agree. I think if you're a shipper, the most important thing is those relationships that you create with your partners and that the partnership that you develop, because you mentioned financial stability and, and we certainly have it at Ryder. We've been around for 90 plus years and we're not going anywhere, but the financial stability is interesting because it used to being, are we going to pay our tra our carriers that we partner with on time every time? And that used to be your sign of financial strength because the worst thing a shipper can have is a carrier. They pay the broker then the broker never paid. And then that's happening. It's happening more and more, but the financial stability now is even more exasperated because you're starting to see brokers go out of business and we've never really seen that. 
at least not to the level and size of some of those folks. So partnering with somebody who's financially secure that will pay their carriers so you don't double pay, but also so you don't lose freight on the road with the, the processes we talked about from the fraud standpoint. But I even, I'll take it a step further, and it, we've mentioned a lot of tech. The interesting thing, I think, when you're looking at a, a provider is we're putting a lot of tech together um, for the tracking. I'm a big believer you can't just have one way to track because not every carrier is going to want to do that. But the interesting thing that we provide here at Rider, and especially when you look at our port-to-door solution, is the connectivity point into one UI in that a customer can have one user interface <laughs> yeah sorry one user interface big on acronym acronyms here but one user interface that they can look and see all of their shipments regardless of how i track it or even where it's at in the supply chain and that's our rider share product it came out over the last several years and we can connect even on our integrated deals with our dedicated partners so where you're using more services than just freight brokerage so dedicated service managed trans and the freight brokerage group, all of those are connected into that single user interface. And you can see the whole ecosystem of your supply chain. And that's a big differentiator. A lot of customers uh, that we have today are enjoying that product. Um, but also as you see how supply chains continue to become more and more complex, that'll be more and more important to see what level of the supply chain it's at, even if it's at a warehouse sitting or wherever that connection point is. Yep. Yeah, and you mentioned the multiple service, the managed trans, the dedicated. I think it's also worth noting that if you're a growing company, you say, hey, I'm just using uh, Rider as a freight broker, and maybe I'm even using other freight brokers right now. At some point when, I'm sure this happens, where you say, hey, look, we would like a chance to do managed trans with you. Let us become more of a partner to you. Or even, hey, let us get us some dedicated trucks to you. I, I think... Again, I'm a big believer that the way you save money in the long run, the way you save money and improve the service that you're looking for is you partner up. And again, you got to vet. I think the idea that shippers have often had is I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a spreadsheet and you just give me your price and I'm going to give you very little information. I, when I was still doing logistics and transportation sales, I would say, I'm not working with people like that. I can't. It's, I can't add the value that I want. And I've also, I've advised large shippers on this is they'll say, oh, they've got four extra guys there. I was like, you're looking at each one of those guys as an extra cost. I'm looking at them as you spend a hundred million dollars a year. That guy's going to save you a million dollars. That's why he's here. That's what a good ops team does. Outdated, outdated small thinking with, with this idea that I'm just going to do everything based on What's the lowest cost today? There's no way to work. Yeah, I always call it total cost of ownership, right? Exactly. And it's way more than a lane rate, right? Service component has costs associated with it. The technology and what it drives out will have a cost associated with it. The people that are driving the cost savings you just mentioned have a value associated with it, right? And all of those things, claims percentage has a cost associated with it, right? So just because you go back to the conversation around saving 20, 50 bucks on a lane, but you're always late or you have a higher claims percentage or whatever. It just takes one. It just takes one to really blow up the, the ecosystem. And I think that evaluation is, an, is important. And back to your comment about using other services at Rider, I, I was not to be too cliche because I've just used one, but I always say we're also the tip of the spear. I mentioned earlier that 
we're the first to know when market changes and, and we certainly are, but it, in, in our group, I can, one of the values of brokerage is flexibility. I can start a shipper very quickly. I can take down a sh- an operations to think like project moves very quickly. And that allows a customer to get to know us and see what Rider's all about. And then we, we share customers back and forth, whether they need a, a pop-up warehouse or whether they need a pop-up fleet, or do they want to go into managed trans for a fully vetted solution? We can start with us and, and really get to know us and, and go from there. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to summarize and I want to get your final thoughts on this. We first talked about the market. And again, I'll put a link to your market update in the show notes. So people, and that's the market update you guys do with freight waves. You guys actually, I know they have economists over there. I've interviewed them. I should also mention when I talk to the freight waves economists, Wall Street looks at those reports that, that Freight Waves makes. And the reason is because it's a leading indicator where the economy is heading. So um, this is not just something that's back of the napkin. This is a, a very uh, nice research product. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But anyway, we talked about the market research and we talked about all the freight fraud and double brokering and some of the solutions that you guys are bringing to that. We talked about the tech-centric freight brokers they raised the bar for all of us. And as you said, they became table stakes. But you're still a big believer that in addition to the tech, still people business, still a relationship business. You still want that 3PL broker to be an extension of your supply chain. Last but not least, we talked about partnering with a leader, someone who's got the financial stability, someone who's got the scale to be a partner and not just a transactional relationship. Final thoughts on this, Kevin Clunch. No, thanks for having me, Joe. I think a great discussion. And I agree. I think for those shippers out there and for the carriers, for that matter, the vetting matters, who you partner with matters and and continue to build those relationships. And I think for Ryder, we've got a great value prop and certainly open to have further discussions for any of the folks that want to reach out. More than happy to to talk to you about any of the things that are out there or anything that are going on in the industry. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. But at the end of the day, Joe, I think we're going to come out of this. We talked a little bit about, uh, it's been doom and gloom here for the past uh, really year and a half. 10 years, 10, like. 10, 15 years. Yeah, we'll come out of this. And and I think everybody, what we've, those folks that have invested and really put a focus on their processes during the downtime are going to be the ones that come out and are the most successful when the market turns. And I, and I certainly think Ryder is, is a leader in that and all of the investments that we've made. Awesome. Kevin, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, people who are killing it in this space. Who else should I interview? I think you already told me a few. <laughs> yeah, I think Michael Caney from Highway and Ryan Rogers from TextLocate is who I would go to. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to interviewing both of them. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website, a link to this market research that we referenced earlier. And any other links you and your marketing team give me, I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. What conferences will we see you at in the new year? Uh, you'll probably see Ryder at all of them in some capacity, <laughs> but uh, the most, uh, the nearest one, nearest ones manifest here at the start of the year. And then food shippers in February, I believe it's in Palm Beach. could be wrong. Um, Very but, nice. Uh, yeah, we'll... We'll be out and about for sure. Happy to see you all there. Yep. I saw you guys last year at Manifest. I interviewed Gary Allen. He's on your warehousing side. And then I was just telling you before we hit record, Nelly was at Manifest last year. I don't know who the guest, who the singer is going to be this year, but it was ludicrous the first year with Nelly last year. 
And I was telling you that the Ryder team, Ryder is one of the sponsors at Manifest. So they had, they were right on the side of the stage and Gary Allen said, Hey, Joe, come over. And so I got to meet the whole Ryder team. Of course it was loud because we're right next to the stage, but we were the cool kids. I don't know. What 90s hip hop star can we add to the list? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We, we were just talking about before we hit record. There's always this lately, it's this country and hip hop or rap vibe where you're like, I'm like, I don't know, I'm more of the rock and roll, but I'll take either one. I'm looking forward to it. Manifest was great. And I, I hope to see you guys. By the way, I should also say, Ryder had a really cool, I don't want to call it a booth. It was a whole project going on at uh, Manifest last year. They guys were there in force. Absolutely. I think we've got, uh, when you think about the investments we've made and really showing some of the products that we've got out there, that's the goal of these is to get the word out and show a lot of what we're about at those at those events. And I think the one you're mentioning was the putt with our sponsorship with Sam Ryder, which is certainly an interesting sponsorship for sure. No relation, but he is a Ryder no. guy. <laughs> the commercials are great. If you haven't seen them, you should YouTube them. They're pretty funny. I will look for that. And if I can find it, I will put it in the show notes for you guys. And the smartest thing you guys did is you put your booth right next to the puppy lounge. So everybody was over there seeing the puppies. <laughs> Those then, are popular. And then you're like, oh, look at this. there's Pup Hut over here. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you guys. I will be at Manifest. I don't know about food shippers, but I might be there depending. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joe. And thank all of you for coming on my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.